0: what a rich time of just massaging our hearts with truth I don't know about you but I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and I wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean friends brothers and sisters don't let the circumstances steal your joy these days It's so easy to have that happen we serve a joyful God who lives in eternal joy, infinite, absolute, eternal joy. That's who our God is. And we, His people, are offered the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy, the, the benefit of having Christ in us, the one who provides our joy and um, and so I, I trust that regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, we will refuse to let anything or anyone steal our joy, our joy in the Lord, for he is our strength. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We just, we do come amazed into your presence together, to gather here. And those, those online who've joined us, Lord, it is it is truly a rich, rich heritage we have in, in the truth. And Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the truth. We thank you for giving to us the revelation of Jesus Christ in written form, the truth. We thank you that we have every advantage because of where we are, where we live, The freedoms we enjoy, or at least have been enjoying, or used to enjoy. We pray, oh Father, that you would visit our land powerfully. Pray Father that you would would once again be recognized as the God who has dominion from sea to sea. To sea. Because this is your country. This is your world. This is your universe. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture, your flock. And oh God, we're just thankful this morning that we can come together, gather around your word, rejoice in the truth, praise you, acknowledge you as our God. And now we ask, oh Father, that you would uh, guide our hearts deeply into your word, that it might shape Actions that please you and that grow us for your great namesake I pray Amen I'm presuming that you have noticed as I have that we are increasingly being required to live by lies we're increasingly being required to, to put up with lies and just learn to live with them and get along with our lives in the, in the matters of human sexuality, the matters of gender design, in, in science, in politics, social justice, and religious teaching, office culture, manufacturing, engineering. There's, there's virtually no discipline in life that I can think of where we are not increasingly being required to swallow lies and just get on with it. A uh, thing popped up in Facebook this morning that I had written five years ago to this day. I, I, I think I put it on Twitter. And for those of you who say Facebook and Twitter are two different things, as one young, or several young kids challenged me with today, uh, my Facebook was connected to Twitter, so I, I, I know a little bit about this social media thing. But anyway, I, um, I wrote this, tragically, nothing has changed. In fact, I think things are worse. worse. I wrote this, September 27, 2015. The biggest problem in the church today is we want Jesus as Savior, but human reason and experience as Lord. I think we need to um, come to terms with the fact that we are descending into dishonesty and, and deceitfulness. I had conversations, or was privy to conversations with two young adults, just back-to-back weeks, on the requirements for them to embrace lies or run the risk of losing out in their career before it even starts. And the courage that, that young adults are having to face today is is completely different than anything that I know I experience coming along. And so I, I, want, um, I want to share uh, with you something that I came across this week, uh, a book that's actually coming out. It hasn't been published yet, but I, I picked up some excerpts from it, and it's going to be called Live Not By Lies uh, by Rod Dreher. But, in particular, he cites in the book, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. It's probably a name that's familiar to many of you. And I want uh, those who are, say, under 40, to particularly perk up your ears in what I'm having to say, what I'm going to say in the next little few minutes. Uh, And you'll you'll understand why in, in a moment. But Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a novelist, a a dissident who lived in the Soviet Union uh, between the years of 1918 and 2008 during the difficult years of the Soviet system. And I want to quote something from Solzhenitsyn that I think is very critical to us to understand here in Canada that we never thought we would probably need to pay attention to, but we do. He writes this, the worst thing about the soviet system was not material oppression. You can learn to live in meager conditions without harming your spiritual essence. The real horror was being forced to participate in the general conscious lie. The big win. And now. For those of you who are, are unaware of, the, of history, um, in June of 1987, President Ronald Reagan made probably his most famous statement when he shouted out in Berlin, Mr. Gorbachev, take down that wall. Some of you are old enough to remember that, 1987. That's why I said about those under 40. Mr. Gorbachev, take down that wall. And it's, it systematically began to happen. And by November 1991, the Iron Curtain, the, the wall that separated the free world, the free democratic world from the Soviet Union, was down. And um, Solzhenitsyn writes about the reality of the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union be, uh, fell, uh, came apart. Uh, that's why we have so many different countries in that particular area now that, that were swallowed under the umbrella called the Soviet Union. And so he's talking about the when this all finally happened, Solzhenitsyn stated this, and this is in his essay called From Under the Rubble. The win wasn't political freedom. It was inner freedom from entanglement in the lie. Did you catch that? It's interesting because the Apostle Paul writes in Romans one twenty-five that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It has been the course of human nature to continue to embrace the lie, to continue to live by the lie. And Solzhenitsyn writes, live not by lies. It's interesting that that Jesus, when he was in confrontation with the Pharisees, in John chapter 8, Jesus states, in John chapter 8, verse 44 and following, in his argumentation with them, he says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Paul goes on later to write in 2 Corinthians about the facts that the god of this age has blinded the minds of those without Christ so that they follow the lies it's a system that we are currently living in and and, and interestingly of course ultimately when Jesus stood before pontius pilate as all evaders of truth state he asked the question what is truth as if truth doesn't exist, as if truth is elusive, as if truth can't be discovered, as if truth isn't able to be found. The reason I I mentioned to our younger, our under 40, is in this day and age, what is really unfolding around us is that the problem with those under 40 have no idea how desperate it, it was For people living in Marxist communism, you have not experienced. Think about this, folks. People, this huge block of humanity in the West, under 40, have no conscious memory or understanding or experience with how bad it was for millions of people locked behind the Iron Curtain in Marxist Communism. I I went to the, I went to behind, I went behind the Iron Curtain several years after the wall had come down. And I'm telling you what I saw was heartbreaking. Sitting in an average person's house, having tea at night, with a car battery in the middle of the living room, attached by a wire to one single light bulb hanging in the room for the total light in the whole house. Such was the bankruptcy of Marxist communism. Listening to stories of their church being bulldozed over and over and over again. And they'd rebuild and it'd be bulldozed down again. Hardy, persistent, godly people under the most oppressive of times. And it is disturbing to me as an older Canadian to watch what is happening around us with all the lies that are being told and this whole generation growing up and having no idea where the trajectory is heading. I don't know whether it's because of collective ignorance, or laziness, or fear, but I do know this. You combat lies with truth. And so the Apostle Peter seeks to grab our attention this morning in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, when he says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith knowledge. Add to your faith knowledge. In other, in other words, what he's saying is, You want to get growing? Get knowing. Now there's a good meme for you. Go home, flower that baby up put it out on Facebook, you want to get growing, get knowing. I think it's a good one anyway. <laughs> We've looked at saving faith in Christ, add to your faith, this, your faith, the faith in Christ. Last week we looked at moral excellence as the credentials of those who are spiritually excellent. And this morning he's asking us and urging us and commanding us to add to our faith knowledge. Now, as it relates to the subject of knowledge, there's a grand statement that's made in the Scriptures in Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge, depending on your translation. The word is really knowledge. The beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That is a sweeping universal statement that God has made for us and is describing exactly the reality of knowledge, the subject of knowledge in general. And I I want to break it down for a moment. The fear of the Lord, in other words, the worship or the reverence of God is the beginning or the source or the primary location, the primacy of knowledge. To have knowledge is to fear the Lord. So what if we leave God out of the equation as the vast majority of decision makers are doing in our continent? I would submit it makes your knowledge suspect. I'm going to elaborate on that in a few moments. My uncle, uh, Uncle Ollie was his name. He's now in glory. He's, uh, he was a, A brash, bold, no-nonsense, say it the way it is, unusual for a baker, say it the way it is kind of guy. And um, he was in the hospital one time in his later years, and the guy in the bed beside him uh, I guess called uh, called out to him and said to him, hey, uh, do you believe in God? And you know, there's, there's many answers to that, there's, there's politically correct answers, there's gentle answers, there's nice answers, there's, there's uh, conversational answers, there's friendship answers, and then there's my Uncle Ollie's answer, which was, I'm not a fool. To which he was a, referring to Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, what? There is no God. So he was bang on. The fear of the Lord, the worship, the reverence of the Lord is the source, the beginning, the primary place to go for knowledge. So what is the knowledge that this imperative here is referring to? Peter actually makes a distinction that doesn't show up in our English words between knowledge in verse 2 3 and 8 and 220 versus knowledge here in verse 5. So I think he wanted to make a distinction on purpose. There's several ways you can describe the word knowledge in or the original language can be translated knowledge. One is epigenosis, and the other is gnosis. Peter uses, in this is going to make sense in a moment, folks, so bear with me. Verse 2, verse 3, verse 8, chapter 2, verse 20, he uses the word epigenosis, which is correctly translated knowledge. But when he gets to verse 5 and he says, add to your faith knowledge, he just uses genosis. So let's, let's break that down because I think there's a reason for why he did that. The, the knowledge in verse 2 and in verse 3, notice, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In other words, if you jump back to verse 1, you see we've received a faith as precious as ours, and what comes along with that faith is grace and peace, and you get that through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And then he says in verse three, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us, again, referring to salvation. Down in verse eight, for if you possess these qualities, which we've been teaching on, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge, your saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Over in verse, chapter two, verse 20, He says there, if they have escaped the corruption of the world, referring to false teachers, by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Uh, He's talking about those who have a superficial grasp of who Jesus really is, but have never really received faith in Christ. So he's fundamentally in these three or four sections, he's talking about a particular kind of knowledge, a knowledge that is essential for, uh, to Christianity, uh, the authentic, literally the authentic knowledge centered on the God of the Bible and on Christ as Savior for salvation. The, the minimum that you must know and understand about who God is, who Christ is, what Christ has done, what salvation is about, that kind of knowledge that you can receive by faith and receive salvation. That's the epigenosis that, uh, that Peter's talking about here. And, and of course, he is at the same time refuting a, um, refuting a, uh, a cult, a false teaching cult, uh, called the Gnostics, you find that throughout the New Testament, who had infiltrated the early Christian church, and the Gnostics were all about wisdom and all about knowledge, and they were called the knowing ones, and they thought they knew everything, and, 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 and they were very, very um, uh, uh, influential, they were very... Uh, Dogmatic about about the whole idea of knowledge was gained by it was a mystical thing it was a experiential thing they were anti matter they were they they believed in fact that that, that, that know Jesus as savior and, um, and Paul writes even to the Corinthians and, and with the Gnostics in mind who had given the impression that it would be it would be fine to be immoral in your body as long as in your spirit you were thinking right or you were uh, thinking that you were thinking morally while you were sinning, <laughs> you were fine. It was a, it was a complete heresy, completely, uh, uh, but, it was a, but it was attracting people in the early church. They were drawn to it because you can imagine you can get saved and sin at the same time. You can be good with God and live like hell. It was attractive. And people in the early church, were embracing it. And people today, by the way, Gnosticism isn't articulated much, but it still floats around in, in the way people uh, actually bifurcate their spiritual life and their behavior. Their, the way they live and the way they believe are at odds with one another. So, Peter is actually addressing this when he says, this knowledge is specific, it, it's the right content of truth and belief versus the Gnostic idea. It also, Peter's also making certain that we understand that, that this knowledge that he, he's writing about in verses two, three, I'll get to five in a moment, but two, th- two three, uh, eight, and and two twenty is, is not some sort of deeper knowledge that, that we're, we're to, to find needed for a deeper, a deeper and more complete salvation. That's not what he's talking about either. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, finish it, the hope of glory. I see you mouthing it out there. The hope of glory. <laughs> For you to have the hope of glory, all you have to have is Christ in you. There's no, nothing we're adding to salvation here. That's not what we're talking about. It's not some sort of deeper knowledge that only a few people uh, find. That's not what he's talking about. It's also not just intellectualism. Sometimes when we say, you know, knowledge, we think, oh, it, it, it must be just, you know, knowledge is intellectualism. It's not just intellectualism. That's not what Peter's referring to here. To the natural man, and I think you've already seen the, you're seeing this play out, science is the custodian of final truth. That, that's what's happening around us in our day. So intoxicated is our culture and scientific knowledge that whole governments have abdicated their mandate to lead to unelected scientists. That's what's happening all around us. They, because, because the scientists, the, the medical professionals hold the key to life. That's how people are living right now. Oh please, tell us how we can live. In fact, um, Theresa Tam has become the de facto Prime Minister of Canada. Now, keep in mind that that stream of intellectualism, that stream of scientific expertise is fundamentally based upon total materialism. Their scientific thought is, is basically grounded in the idea of materialism and is presuppositionally anti-God. The experts who... These are experts leading our lives who don't understand the operating system of the world. Who is God? And this is from which we are being asked to live. So Zenitsyn would call out to us from his grave and say, Live not by lies. Now, this total materialism system does not take into account that in the observation of human beings themselves, the material and the immaterial function together. We're not just, the, the universe isn't just, just material. Think about your mind versus your brain. Your mind is immaterial, yes? You're not just learning this, are you? I don't think you're gonna learn anything new today. And your brain is material, yes? And the immaterial is controlling the material, yes? So here's this interface that takes place by observation that every scientist should be able to see. In the same way as the universe interfaces with God. God who is immaterial is spirit, Controlling the material that is our universe. And unless you come at it from the fear of God, is the beginning of wisdom, is the beginning of knowledge, then the presentation that people are making to us is requiring of us to live by lies. Keep in mind though, this knowledge is not anti-intellectual either. Christianity is a very very rational belief system. You're never asked to disengage your minds and believe in Christ. In fact, quite the opposite. That's why Peter is saying here, add to your faith, knowledge, think. You wanna get growing, get knowing. That'd be a good meme. Oh, wait a minute, I said that before. He's not leading us to fanciful feelings and experiences and subjective and mystical thoughts and visions and voices and words of knowledge. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about subjective experiential replacements for objective scriptural reality either. The dreaded phrase to all pastors, Pastor K, is God told me. God told me. That's... The worst way to start a counseling session is for someone to plunk themselves down in my office and say, "God told me." I'm always uh, immediately get suspicious. I listen to what they say, and then I say, "Well, God didn't tell me that," because you see, in Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse one, it says, "Everything, every matter, must be established by two or three witnesses." So I'm like, "Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness, Calvin?" Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, prove all things. If it conflicts with scripture, God hasn't said it. So what is incomplete in us then? We've gone down a litany of things. What is incomplete in us? What is this added knowledge, this gnosis, this distinct? After our salvation, there is much knowledge to be gained to grow for our sanctification. I don't think there's a better place in scripture to outline this, to explain this, than in Romans chapter 12. Would you look there with me? Romans chapter 12 and verses one and two. And you know this so well. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in other words, in view of God's salvation to you as his children to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, In what way? How do we do this? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, stop being conformed by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, now that you have come to Christ, Peter is saying, add to your faith that you've received a passion for your mind being renewed by the things of God because you are being pressed into conformity to the shape of this world. Whether you know it or not, all of the media, all uh, all of the uh, 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 crowd uh, noise, all of the pressure from people, uh, and, and all that's going on is seeking to press you into the mold of this culture that you might think like them, that you might talk like them, that you might act like them, that you might plan like them, that you might be afraid like them. And the beauty of salvation is that God has given us his spirit that we might no longer be pressed into this mold, the pattern of sinful, ungodly world, but be transformed. In other words, the word is to be morphed. Metamorphosed like a metamorphosis, like a butterfly from a worm, that we might actually be metamorphosized because of our salvation through sanctification as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, as we are renewing our minds. Our minds are being renewed by God in His Word. Now, why is this urgent call by Peter to all of us? Because a new orientation of our thinking leads to new behavior patterns. It's simply when we change the way we think, we will change the way we act. So why are we to add this knowledge? In order to discern the will of God. Look what it says here in verse 2, as you continue, then or so that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Brothers and sisters, this is critical. You know, people say, I don't know what God's will for my life is. I, I've, I've had to sit down with so many people, I don't know what God's will for my life, I don't know what God's purpose for me really is. We are being, we are being told the, the, the not so secret secret of how you can know the will of God for your life and, and, and his purpose for your life, in the forming of the Christian mind. The Holy Spirit is all about forming the, your mind to be a Christian mind, not a secular mind, not pressed into the, the shape of the, the people, and not by a list of laws, but rather by knowing Christ and what he wants you to do and what he wants you to think by studying his word that we might grow in maturity in the knowledge of him so that he can produce in us maximum impact discipleship. This word where it says here, so that you will be able to test That word is to prove or to analyze or to examine. As you pour yourself into God's word, you are able to analyze and examine God's purpose for your life, God's will for your life. As people are more uh, conversant with the word of God, they are more confident in the understanding of the will of God for their life. They are more confident in God's purpose for them. I can tell you this, that when people are immersed in the word of God, they have a incredible urge to serve. That's what happens. You you absolutely, by knowing the will of God, are shaped into God's purposes, and he urges you to serve him. That's the way the the journey goes. And so... um, we will know. In Ephesians 5, 17, Paul writes, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In other words, he's, he's saying literally here, don't be brain dead. That's what it means. Don't be without a mind. Don't be mindless. Rather, know what the will of God is. The second big reason why he's urging us to make every effort to add to our, our uh, faith uh, knowledge, is because we are vulnerable. We are easy targets. We, we're not to be easy targets for false teaching in the wiles of the devil. If we don't know the truth, we are not going to be able to refute the lies and the subtle lies that are all around us. We are bombarded every day with untruth, bad doctrine, bad theology, twisted teaching, insecurity in what is right, misguided loyalties, subversive social agencies, anti-biblical core values. Jesus is actually right now competing to be the Lord of his church. And not, we're not talking about mainline liberals who long ago kicked Jesus out of the church. We're talking about evangelical churches who are struggling with the concept of Jesus being the Lord of the church. He is the absolute authority of the church, not human agencies. All authority is given to me, Jesus says. Now, go and make disciples and baptize them and and teach them whatsoever things uh, I've commanded you to do. And anybody who gets in the way of that has no authority to do so. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is absolutely in charge. He is the Lord of his church. So to the young, to the weak, to the ignorant, to the lazy, to the complacent, to the headstrong, to the heart weak, we are vulnerable if we don't know the things of God. In your Bibles, Peter talks about the Galatians. And um, his concern for them, basically because of Gnostics, people telling them untruths, And, and, you know, later on in the the letter of Galatians, in Galatians 4, I think, verse 14, if I got it right, 15, Paul talks about the Galatian church, which was a young church, and he said to them, you know, you were the kind that would have gouged your eyes out for me. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, that's pretty amazing. I'm thinking, you know, I, I don't think I'd go to one of my friends and say, you know that Calvary Baptist church? They would gouge their eyes out for me. I don't, think I'd be, I don't think I'd be so ready to say that. But Paul said that about the Galatians. And that's why he was so disheartened. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 to 9, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be damned. That's the real word he used. Hard language. Christ is the Lord of the church. No one has the right to tell you that you can't have communion, you can't do baptisms, you can't teach the truth. No one has the right to do that. Moments like this are critical for us to know the Word of God. The crazy teaching that is out there shocks me. But what shocks me more is that the thousands and millions of people who actually get their wallets out and send money to these people who teach outlandish, ignorant, false things. Doesn't that astonish you? Proverbs 29:18, where there is no revelation, the people cut off restraint. Or cast off restraint. Okay, so how? In the brief moments, and we've got enough, in the brief moments we have, how do you make every effort to add knowledge to your faith in Christ? This is a sort of a practical Okay, you've told, it, you've told us what this knowledge is, wh- what it is not. You've told us why, because we uh, need to know the will of God and we don't want to be vulnerable targets to, to lies. How do we do this? Uh, how, can we, how can we make every effort? I'm going to give you six quick things that are adapt- adapted from Dave Breeze's book uh, that he wrote in 1988. And the first is this, study the scriptures. Study your Bibles Every day be studying the scriptures. It's God-breathed truth. God-breathed truth overwhelms Satan spawned lies every time. It's how Jesus combated untruth. He knew the truth. And he was able to refute the untruth. If you don't know what's true, you won't be able to pick up what's not true. And you won't be able to refute what is untrue. In 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourselves Approved workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I wanna be approved by God. I want not to be ashamed because I don't know the truth because a lie is presented before me and I'm stymied by it. I can't answer to it because I don't know the truth. You've been given, what a, what a rich privilege we've grown up with. The word of God, truth, the, the truth of God is here. Jesus Christ is truth, we have it. Secondly, biblical preaching. Put yourself firmly under the teaching that is biblical, teaching that is instructive and explains and illustrates and urges and pleads and, and, and applies and exhorts. If you're out there online and you are, are not part of that kind of a system, get yourself as part of a system where you are being taught biblically, constructing uh, uh, where, where the word of God is presented in in. You can see it with your eyes out of the scriptures themselves. We construct sermons here together on, on every Sunday morning. That's why it's so important to gather. You know, when I was preaching, the hardest thing of my life was when I sat up here and every single seat was empty. Because for me, that's, it, there's, there's something gigantically missing. And it's what I'm getting this morning, looking at your faces, looking at your eyes, knowing whether your hearts are there or not there, and knowing that your hearts are with, with God and, and with the Word of God, and, and, and you're perplexed, and then I can come back and circle around to something, or you're, you're nodding approval, you're getting it, and, and all of that feedback, and you're praying, and there's a dynamic of the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit gathered here with us. And... And for me, like my sermon writing is like horrible. I, I just study and jot down a bunch of thoughts and uh, pray to the Lord that it'll turn into a sermon when I gather with you on Sunday morning. Be- and and you, you are constructing the sermon. If I preach this sermon again, it won't be the same as how I preach it now because it's, it's you who are here. Biblical preaching, theological books, I brought along an, an example of a minimalist library for every one of you, at least in, in your house, every home. This is your minimal library that you must have in your homes. And, um, uh, and especially in these days when, when we, we have no idea how guaranteed our liberties are to us. And so every man in every home needs to plan on being the priest of the home, plan, plan on being the teacher of truth, plan on being the shepherd of your family. You need to be anyway. But you need to have in your arsenal uh, a good study Bible, the NIV Zondervan good Bible, um, General Editor D.A. Carson. You need to have this. I would say every Christian needs to have Something like this. You all need to have a New American Standard Bible. A New American Standard Bible. I'm getting like Trump standing in front of that. You need to have a New American Standard Bible. And you say, wait a second. This is the best translation in the English world. Now I'm going to give you, some of you, uh, a, a pass on the ESV. That's a decent translation. But this is the very best. Every one of you need to have a New American Standard translation of the scriptures. You all need to have a Bible dictionary so that you can look up terms that you find and understand what the theological terms are. You all need to have a good Bible dictionary. You all need to have a a handbook of some sort of theology. I think the Moody Handbook of Theology is the one I would recommend. By the way, I'm getting no, no kickbacks for all of these endorsements. I just want you to know. Uh, although I should. But anyway, here we have the Moody Handbook of Theology so that you can look up the deep truths we were talking about of God, of the doctrine of God, of sin, of salvation, of Christ, of the, of the Holy Spirit. You need to know this is what making every effort to add to your knowledge, your salvation knowledge, is all about. You all need to have a concordance, an exhaustive concordance, so that when you're thinking of a Bible word, you say, I don't... Where is that? I can't remember what verse that is. You can look up this word, and you can find it in every verse that it appears in the Scriptures. You all need to have an exhaustive concordance. You all should have one, at least one fuller commentary commentary set. And uh, again, this one is is solid. It's it's the test of time. It's modern enough. Yet it's conservative. The Expositors Bible Commentary Series is a fabulous uh, for, for laymen in, in, you know, it's not too technical. And, and for laymen, you need to have this. And you can get these on digital uh, as well. And, and so now this is just one of a whole series of commentaries, or the Intervarsity Press uh series of Old Testament, and New Testament. This is one book. This is Acts. Uh, you could have this series in your home, but this will give you. a a really decent library uh, for what I believe Peter is talking about and and, and what he meant when he told Timothy uh, in 1 Timothy 4, 13, give attendance to reading. This is the kind of reading you should have. So guys, for Christmas, I'm falling off my stool here. For Christmas, uh, instead of asking for a new set of golf clubs, right there, that's what you should be asking for, for, uh, for this Christmas. What do you think, Kenny? By the way, this would be way too expensive for one Christmas. So this has to be your Christmas, your birthday. I know it doesn't look like much, but these things cost a lot of money. And uh, um, get this. Healthy conversations, number four. Uh, get, Get yourself, surround yourself, find people who know things about things know things about God and pick their brains, ask them questions. I've had such a, a joy over uh, over the years of being able to be with solid, godly statesmen in the Word of God, and I'm constantly just asking them questions, questions, questions. How do you do this? What do you think about that? What would you do here? I'm constantly asking questions. I pick up the phone, and I phone people who I believe in. I believe they know things. I believe they know things about Jesus, and I ask them questions. That's what you need to do. Get people around yourself who know things and ask them questions. Group discussions. We need to work out our theology together. We need to be able to ask each other questions. How did you apply this? What do you think about this? Um, How did you understand this? What was the aha moment for you? How did you? We need, listen, the discipling communities that we have is not just window dressing. It's important. It's important for each of us to get in smaller settings where we can work out our faith together. To stay. to stimulate one another, uh, to understand things and, 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 and edify one another. Christian, Christianity is not a solitary game. You get away from the group and your ember will lose its fire. I'm, I'm calling on you on online world. Come out and gather with God's people. If you're not part of a discipling community, talk to Pastor Kelvin. Uh, you need to become one. Group discussions. And then reflective thinking. Critical thinking. The huge gap in our, our world right now are good critical thinkers. Think. Don't swallow everything that's being told you. Look, Think. Research. Look around. You're being... Everything's politicized. Everything. It's coming at you from an angle, a slant, an agenda. There are very few people who are dedicated to telling you the truth. So you have to be critical thinkers, you must be. This is what adding to your not making every effort to add to your knowledge is all about. I love long, quiet road trips. That's where I really get time to think. There's nobody there, there's no phone, there's nothing, just driving and uh, my wife is terrific on long road trips because she just reads and sleeps and she doesn't talk to me and i like that i love it in fact when my daughter gets in the car that's a different matter i drove her from texas and she never stopped talking from texas to ontario yak 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 yak. but anyway that's not that's not a reflective thinking time i love in fact i've said to people if i wasn't a pastor i'd love to be a long-haul truck driver I think, those, I think those people have the, the, the best job ever. You get out there on the road, nobody's bugging you, go on the long haul and just think. Think about Jesus, think about, think about how, how uh, your, your theology is coming together. Bring these moments together, it's how scripture comes together and, and those aha moments where ah, I finally get it. So let me wrap this up. To possess knowledge of God, and of his salvation in Jesus is to possess responsibility to do what you know and persuade the ignorant, thanks to Dave Breeze, To increase in knowledge is a command that satisfies the appetite of the genuine believer. Let me close it up today with a a little more quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, if you'll allow me. And I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been, you know, uh, uh, why my passion is so stirred up at this moment. I mean, I'm I'm always passionate about God's word, but I'm, I'm very passionate about the cultural shift, the cultural direction, what's going on around us, more so than I've ever been. It's probably to do with my age. I with Solzhenitsyn, agree with what he said. For whose sake do we agonize over the future? We are already old, some of us. If they themselves do not build an honest society, he's talking about the younger, if they themselves do not build an honest society, they will never see it at all. Are are you hearing this under 40? You get one vote for communism and Marxism, and then you never get to vote again. What does it mean not to lie? What what I'm I'm gonna reframe it for you. What does it mean not to lie? He says this. It simply means not saying what you don't think. There is a grave danger of just going along with the crowd. And here's how he puts it. If you don't believe what you're hearing, if you don't Agree with what you're hearing. If you don't think what you're hearing is true, then stop whispering it as it is, as if it is. Don't open your mouth in favor of it. Don't raise your hand in agreement with it. Don't cast your vote for untruth. Don't feign a smile when you know people are lying. Don't lend your presence to lies. Don't stand up as if you're with them. And don't cheer for what you don't think is right. Live not by lies. And the only way that you can live that way is to know the truth. And beloved, we have it. Make every effort to add to your faith knowledge. The knowledge of God's Word. Lord, we commit ourselves to this great task for which you will commit energy Because it is your command to us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who makes us wise unto salvation. The word of God that makes us wise unto salvation as the spirit of God prompts us and energizes us. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. So I pray today that we will make every effort. This doesn't just come by osmosis this isn't, isn't granted to us in the package deal with salvation this is add to your faith knowledge we are deficient when we are saved we are deficient and we are called upon to grow that we might know grow by knowing oh lord i thank you for your truth to us today and i pray that we will embrace it with all of our hearts because we are living in perilous days. We are living in days whereby lies are being forced upon our culture in ways that they never have been in decades past. Live not by lies. God's people are people of truth. Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.